Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. What makes greatest sense to you? You're the teacher. Well, you're in Manitoba, but you're a teacher. We have teachers and educators and parents going at each other, governments and politicians going at each other about what the responsible way to do this is concerned. What would you say? What's the plan? Well, I I would say a couple of things, Roy, and thanks again for having me on. I would say that uh, we need to take a step back and ask the question, is it important for schools, for students to be back in class in person? Is Is that important? And my argument is yes, it is absolutely essential. Uh, we've certainly, we certainly saw that clearly during the shutdown this spring. I think pretty much everyone quickly came to the realization that online learning is, for the vast majority of students, is a poor substitute for in-person, in-class learning. And so once we recognize that, we also know that the COVID-19 pandemic continues on, and many indications, certainly from Theresa Tam and other health officers, is that this could go on for two to three years. And we're not going to keep kids at home for two to three years, so we now have to figure out the best way to have kids come back to school and have a reasonably normal learning environment. Because if you make it too artificial, if you put too many restrictions in place and you make it impossible for kids to actually learn normally, we undermine the entire purpose of having kids in in school at all. And so we need to have distancing measures that are reasonable and actually enforceable but at the same time recognizing that there is no such thing as a risk-free learning environment. Even if there wasn't a pandemic, school is never risk-free. There are always risks uh, throughout all of life. And so we need to bring the kids back. They need to be in school, in person, as much as possible. And we need to make sure that whatever rules we put in place don't make it impossible for students to actually learn. So what makes sense to you as far as safety is concerned, as far as safety of the students is concerned, from COVID-19, as far as safety of families of students who may uh, contract COVID-19 in the school environment and bring it home? What's the safety factor? Where do masks fit in? What would you do overall? What I would do overall is I would say that I would, first of all, make a distinction between uh, people who are uh, immunocompromised and have the doctor's note to prove it, and they have to be significantly more isolated than the rest of the population. In those circumstances, whether students or teachers, you have to make a different arrangement in, in, in that. As far as the rest, the majority of the population, uh, you put some distancing measures in. So, for example, you don't have the all-school assemblies. Uh, you, you don't have public events in the evening that lots of people are coming to. Um, you have some, you, you reduce the number of students on buses. And, yes, you encourage parents to drive their kids to school if that is possible. Uh, and, uh, and and you put measures in place that try to you know, reduce contact, especially in some of the common areas, so you stagger the lunch hours and the recess breaks. Those are the types of distancing measures that you can put in place without having, a, uh, without having too negative an impact on student learning. Those measures are inconvenient, but they are workable. Uh, the, so it's important that, that the measures we put in are actually workable and don't negatively impact learning. Has any one province particularly impressed you or failed to impress you with their plan? Well, when you look at what's happening across the country, I'll say, first of all, that the provincial plans are actually more similar to each other than different. The commonalities are quite significant in that uh, provinces are bringing back kids on a full-time basis, K to 8, and generally some sort of a bit of a hybrid model with high school and cohorts and such. Uh, I think that uh, that Manitoba's plan, which is uh, which was announced last week by Education Minister Kelvin Gertzen, is the plan that I like the most. Uh, it is specific 
28 pages long. It has a, it has a good amount of detail in it, but it's not excessively detailed to the point that you can't take local circumstances into account. And so uh, I think that the Manitoba plan, which is, of course, the province that I'm in, takes a reasonable, balanced approach saying, okay, here are some distancing measures we're going to put in place, but we also recognize the kids have to be, have to be back in school. And another strength of the Manitoba plan is it, has, it hasn't been shifting around uh, wildly. It's, it's generally been fairly consistent, and the changes have been more gradual in terms of what's been announced. You've got some provinces like Ontario where uh, the plan has dramatically changed and the communication around it hasn't been done very well, and that's led to a lot of the problems in Ontario right now. And uh, in British Columbia, the timing of returning to school uh, is, is, is somewhat uh, indefinite. Oh, I'm broadcasting from home, so what you're hearing going by is a big motorcycle. Um, Michael, you said something to me the other day when we were talking on the phone, and I, I wrote this down. And I want to ask you about it. You said there's more to public health than not catching COVID. That's right. Uh, and there is. And then every public health official will say the same thing, that obviously reducing the spread of COVID-19 is important, but that's not the only aspect of public health. There's other physical illnesses. There's cancer treatments that need to go ahead in hospitals. There's uh, mental health, which is, which is also exceptionally important. And we've seen that if you, put, if you put too much of an emphasis and put all our eggs in the basket of we're just focused on reducing the spread of COVID-19 and everything else goes on hold the next couple of years, well, then you have a whole lot of other health problems. And even when you, if, if the economy goes down too far and, everyone lo- and a bunch of people lose their jobs, that affects health too because uh, people living in poverty tend not to have very good health. And so public health has to look at the, picture, the broader picture, you, you have COVID-19 as a serious issue, but it's a component of public health, and we have to recognize that we are living with the virus for a period of time, and so we have to make sure that the measures we put in place reduce the spread, but at the same time don't, uh, don't damage other aspects of public health. How divided are teachers on this issue across the country? I imagine there's communication taking place. We can see some of it on social media sites, but um, perhaps there are other ways that teachers are communicating across Canada. Is there a real division of opinion on how to do this? Well, there is a difference of opinion, just as there is among other uh, other individuals in the general public. And right now you have some very loud voices among among some groups that are pushing for for safety regulations that go far beyond what what's being recommended in in terms of the the public health plans that have been put forward and uh so but yes i teachers are certainly don't all have the same opinion on this and it frankly bothers me when people are when 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 people make statements saying that uh, you know teachers feel this well some teachers feel this some teachers feel this and so I'm speaking for myself as one teacher, but yes, I know teachers who agree with me, and I know teachers who disagree with me, and that's fine. We live in a democracy. I, I would be very surprised if all professionals in one field completely agree with each other on, on a major issue. Tanya is calling from Alberta. How are you, Tanya? I'm really good. Long-time listener, first-time caller. Thank you, Roy. Thank you, Michael. Michael, you have it right. This is my 35th year going into the classroom, and I'm very excited. I'm really glad to be going back. I really um, um, struggled with the online teaching. I teach complex need kids and have done so for about 99% of my career. Um, it was really difficult on the families. It was difficult on the children. And um, I'm really looking forward to being back. And I've got my masks all made, and my husband's a teacher as well, and he's really excited to be going back as well. 
Well, thank you, uh, and uh, I I agree. I'm looking forward to uh, to going back to school as well, and uh, and uh, I know I know that many many students are looking forward to being back, and uh, it will be nice to be able to uh, give them at least some sense of normalcy and some learning, and uh, that's that's what we want to happen. That's that's what we do as teachers. Absolutely, I wish you a great year at school. Keeping my fingers crossed, we all stay healthy, and thank you. Um, we you stay in long term. No more Tanya, long just long. before you just before you leave us, are there concerns that you have, or are you hearing concerns from parents and perhaps other teachers about uh, about the return to school? Um, not really. I mean, I've been pretty much um, doing my own thing at home. Um, I know my school division um, has been working um, extensively hard at um, preparing um, for the children, for the teachers. For the families, um, my principal has been working countless hours, as all principals have been, on making sure that back to work and back to school, the opening is smooth, and um, the children are safe and everybody's safe. So I have full confidence in in my situation, and I'm really grateful that they have been that conscientious. I mean, this is new. This is a novel virus. We all know that. We don't have a built-in immunity to it as we have for the flu or the common cold or the whatever, stomach flu. But um, I think um, we've got to get the kids back. We've got to get their learning going. We've got to establish some sense of normalcy for the families, and I think we can do it if we just follow the precautions and follow the directions from, you know, the... um, you know, the medical personnel that right. are in place, they're providing really good um, uh, advice. Tanya, thank you so much for the call, and uh, thanks for the good words about the program. All the best to you for the new year, school year. Thank you. Bye-bye. Michael, there's something else you said to me during our off-air uh, conversation, and that is that kids get vaccinated at school. I hadn't even thought about that. Also, you said school is the only safe place for some kids, and that's something else to think about. It, it is. I mean... In terms of vaccinations, uh, yeah, the, the, that is the main place where, where a lot of kids get vaccinated. There are certain vaccinations that, uh, that you get uh, in, in, in specific grades, and if the schools are closed, uh, it then falls on the parents to try to arrange that, those vaccinations themselves, and uh, uh, that may not happen to the, to the same degree. And so it would be a shame if we reduce the COVID curve uh, flatten, flatten that curve, but then have a measles outbreak because we or whatever whatever thing we didn't get vaccinated for. Uh, and secondly, as far as the schools being a safe place, uh, there are not all you know. Unfortunately, there are a lot of kids who who live in less than ideal circumstances, who lives live in situations of abuse or live in extreme poverty. And school is where many of them get fed. School is where they can form healthy relationships with adults. School is where we can find you know, where teachers can identify possible cases of abuse and report that and to help that child. And the, the, you, they have to be in school in order for any of these things to happen. Uh, if, if they're going to be fed or looked after or form these relationships, and that's why you need to have a learning environment that's at least reasonably normal, so that way these connections can be formed. This is when I talk about public health, including more than COVID. That's all part of public health, too. We cannot lose sight of the fact that students need those connections. For many of them, school is their safe place. Should there be a differentiation based on age or the grade the uh, the child is in? So the, the, the kids who are in 
Uh, let's start with grade one. We'll start kindergarten. We'll start with the very youngest ones and then move up into the, uh, in Ontario was grade four, the, where the separation was. Um, but as you move through the, uh, through the school experience, should the experience being going back to school be different based on age? Well, most provinces have generally made the distinction. Like typically, uh, what you're seeing in provinces is guaranteed full time for kindergarten to grade eight with right. some distancing measures. And then grade nine to 12, largely dep- it, it's in some cases full time, in some cases part time, depending on their ability to form cohorts. Do you support that? Cohorts. Uh, well, I, th- I think that it's I think it's reasonable. Um, it's 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 tough to deal with because I, I would still prefer for all the kids to be back in school every day, but it's less problematic for high school kids to do a portion of their learning at home than it is for kids who are younger. So if you have to choose uh, in, in terms of prioritizing, yes, of course, K to eight gets the priority in terms of needing to be there to be the most uh, you know, every single day. But okay. it's important for everyone. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.